Carlos. How Hello, are Matt. You? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Audio sounds fantastic. Yeah, we just got these new microphones, both of us. Yeah. And they're amazing. They're great. All right. Well, this is the Alchemy of Bits podcast. Welcome to the Alchemy of Bits podcast with your host, Matthew and Carlos. I'm Carlos. And that's I'm Matthew. Matt. Yep. Why don't you uh, intro into what the podcast is about? Yeah, Alchemy of Bits podcast. We are a podcast about how to make money online with also some talk about current events, topics, tech. Um, we will share Shit. our opinions and takes about anything and everything, but mainly also talking about how we make money ourselves and how we think others can make money online. Good way to put it. Uh, basically, <laughs> sh shit we're interested in. Yes? Yeah, heck yeah. Fuck yeah. Drop a F-bomb for the podcast. Whoops. All right, I guess we have to put one of those little explicit tags now, don't we? I assume so. It seems to be the case. But yeah, you and I, we have, I would say we have varying interests, but we also have um, a bunch of shared interests. And I think we're also both very curious to learn about each other's interests and each other's, you know, topics that they like to dive into, dive deep into. So hoping to have those conversations here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's dive <laughs> real deep, Carlos, into each other. That sounds fantastic. All right. I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to ask you to intro yourself. Who are you? Who is Carlos? Yeah. Who am I? So I'm a growth consultant, growth marketing consultant. I've been a full-time marketing consultant for a couple of years now. And before that, I, I had a career in early stage startups uh, doing marketing, doing growth marketing. Um, yeah, I always tell people that my, you know, my marketing T-shape, I go deep down on email marketing and lifecycle marketing. So I'm, I love thinking about, uh, the life cycle of a customer. Like how do we, how does the company get them from not knowing anything at all about the brand, the company, what we're about to, becoming a champion of that brand and all the steps in between. So that's what really, that's really gets me going in my professional life. I was a sociology major in college. So I think there's a lot of overlap there with the quantitative and qualitative data that goes into doing what I do in my professional life. Um, outside of my professional life. So I live in New York city. I'm married, recently married. And I'm a golf nut, a golf sicko, as we like to say. Uh, so I play quite a bit of golf, especially for someone who lives in New York City, who lives in this concrete jungle. I also consume a lot of golf content, not just like professional golf, but also 
golf media, golf podcasts, videos, YouTube videos. Um, I would certainly say it's, you know, something I'm very passionate about the game of golf, both playing it, consuming it. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a big part of me, I would say. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit on me about me. I think I'll certainly be revealing more about myself and my personality as we go on here. But Matt, let me turn the question back on you. Can you introduce yourself and tell tell the tell the listeners who you are? Of course. So I am Matt. I also live in New York. I live somewhere in the state of New York. Um, I am a software engineer and have been for going on eight years now. I majored in nothing in college because <laughs> I dropped out three different times. I actually, all right, so that's not fair. I did have majors and they ranged from business admin to criminal justice to electrical engineering to a college dropout. Then I taught myself to code and I never looked back. Um, I also had a career across or have a career across uh, early stage startups and now in mid-size to a large-ish startup, potentially looking to go public one day. We'll see. Um, realized a bit about working in startups. And I one of the big things I realized was there's nothing really special about any of them. It seems to be just a big team of lots of humans together working towards the same goal. And uh, if you work really hard, it's Kind of like the breadcrumbs are there. It's not that difficult to build a successful startup, in my opinion. I'm sure we'll get into more of that. But uh, yeah, um, software engineering wise as well, I am a big nerd. I like reverse engineering things. Um, so we can get into that. I am married. I have my first kid on the way in August, hence the dad hat, if you ever see this on video. And finally, I love playing baseball. Like you, who is a golf nerd, I am a baseball nerd. I've been playing since I was a young kid. And uh, yeah, that's what I do on my weekends now. I slap balls around. Do you watch baseball a lot? No. Or a bit? No? Okay. No, actually. So if I had to choose between uh, playing and watching, I would choose playing. So I'm unfortunately a New York Mets fan. They always suck. Or they start out really good and then just fall off a cliff, as any Mets fan will attest. So I save myself the trouble, and I don't watch unless it's the playoffs. So, I'm sorry for you and your Mets fandom. So, sorry for my loss. Yeah, so I, go on. I was going to say, I think you and I are two sides of a coin in the sense that we are coming at the um you know building companies building startups from two different angles you're definitely in the in the engineering side the creation side and i'm coming at it from a you know traction how do you build an audience how do you grow it side get people to know about what you're building i think the overlap between us or you know if you were to create a venn diagram or, and you put, you know, Matt and Carlos and you, you know, what is that middle part? It's 
its its creator. I think we both are passionate about creating something, and we both bring a different set of skills to do that. But together, it works really well. I, I think it's worth you know uh, mentioning that you and I met while working on a startup. Uh, in fact, I, I if I recall correctly, I did hire you to to come on to that team. You did probably uh, your best hire ever, right? At one hundred percent, I undoubtedly would say that's that's the best hire I've ever made. Um, yeah, cool. All right, awesome. Um, so we are noobs at this, so I'm not gonna beat around the bush. And we have a podcast, No Cheat, where we have a topic called Whoop Check-In. Carlos has put me on to the Whoop Strap. He's a big proponent of it. What do you yeah, like about can, the Whoop? Well, let me first just mention, if for anyone who doesn't know what Whoop is, it's a it's a fitness wearable. You wear it around your wrist. Or actually, you can wear it um, around your wrist, your your bicep. There's other places where you can wear the... the essentially, it's just a, the wearable, right? It's tracking your heart and what it gives you is it gives you a recovery score. It tracks a lot of metrics, but there's one metric that I think a lot of people, a lot of people who wear whoop look at, which is your recovery score. It's a, it, it, it takes into account a lot of data points around based around your heart. Um, and also other, you know, things it's measuring in your body and it tells you how, 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 much you should get after it um that day right like if you should rest or if you're if you're good to go to really have a strenuous day um so that's i've been wearing it since july of 2020 it the company whoop first of all the, the whoop does not sponsor this podcast of course i should call that out but if they want to talk to us We'll be we'll we'll listen, um, but I became aware of Whoop, aware of Whoop because a lot of uh, PGA Tour golfers at the time in 2020 were wearing it, and now a lot of athletes wear it. Aaron Boone, Eli Manning, obviously those aren't active athletes, but a lot of other, you know, Michael Phelps, I believe, is wearing it. Uh, it's something that I think is a it's a great way to track your health. Uh, even better than an Apple Watch, I would say. Did did Whoop start in the golf community? Is that how they broke into getting athletes to wear them? I don't know if that's where they started. I know that their CEO, um, I believe his will his name is Will Ahmed. Uh, he he's a big golf guy, and I think he through just connections. Got connected with, you know, certain PGA Tour golfers, Rory McIlroy, very, very specifically. And at one point, you know, I just remember seeing him playing golf, wearing this thing around his wrist. And the thing about the Whoop, it has no screen, it has no, you know, face on it. It's not a watch. It's just this. They have different colors now, but at the time, it was just this black thing that he was wearing around his wrists and everyone was like what is that why is he wearing that so you know for me in my corner of the world that's how i became aware of it i don't know if the if if they started in the golfing world 
But yeah, I think it, it'd be fun to just... So Matt, you're wearing it after evaluating other fitness trackers and, you know, after me telling you about it. Um, and the thing that, like I said, it provides you a recovery score. So I thought it'd be fun to share what each other's recovery score is um, each day. Do you have yours? I will check. Let me pop the app open here. So last I checked, it hadn't paired in four days because... All right, so let me back up. I was wearing it every single day since you told me about it, and I bought it, and then I fell off a little bit after like two months, and I forgot to wear it to bed one night. Next thing you know, it's been a week, a month, bad habit. In preparation for this, I put it back on my wrist, but it is still sinking, so I do not have a recovery score right now. However, I will anecdotally tell you that I feel about 74% recovered. Oh, wow. Okay. You feel 74. So just for everyone listening, so the, the way that we the WHOOP recovery score works is that there are three zones, basically, or three levels, everything above, everything below 34%, so 33% and lower, you're considered in the red, and it's going to show as red in the app, the recovery score number. And then everything between 34 and 66 percent uh, is is yellow. So you're just like right in the middle, and everything 67 percent and above is going to be green. And green is you know you can get after it. It's a go sign, right? And you can um, you're good to like build a strenuous day. So I'll tell you right now, I can share my recovery score today is 80 <clears throat> percent. Wow. I'm in the green. I uh did not get great sleep last night um i won't share the percentage sleep score because it's embarrassingly low but my hrv is very high relative to my baseline hrv is heart rate variability it's one of the best measures it's whooped it's it's a, a great measure of your health um it whoop is not the only company that measures hrv it's a common metric to track uh, using, you know, some uh, wearable. And that's really what is driving my 80% recovery today is the fact that I have a higher HRV. And I'll tell you right now, it's a 70 uh, HRV. So for someone of my age, um, that's pretty good. And it's from, I can tell you as well, it's from building high strenuous days uh, in the week leading up to today. So I had, I walked a lot of golf. I walked a lot of a golf course last weekend. I played pickleball last night for the first time ever. Uh, so, uh, it's yeah, the, the athletic inputs, right. The, the workouts I've been doing have led to this point where my body has built up, uh, you know, basically like deposits of HRV, if that's how you want to look at it. Yeah. So the whoop strap is great. And I think we're going to every podcast episode, do a little check-in. We'll mention okay. our recovery yeah. score Yep. and maybe we can correlate that down the road to some interesting data point. Definitely for me, I've had recovery scores in the thirties before, and I actually felt like dog shit that day. Mm -hmm. So it's doing something right. There's obvious, 
obviously the science they're working on the hrv super important um yeah anyway i feel 74 percent today good enough to talk on this podcast i have a question for you though you just said that you played pickleball for the first time what the hell is pickleball i've heard about it a bunch of times and it seems to be blowing up it is blowing up pickleball it's it's kind of like miniature tennis but i don't even know if that really just like you know does does it justice in terms of a description it is uh it's a sport where you have you you have a paddle you have a ball you have a little court um a court that's i don't even know how big the size is maybe like 15 feet by well it's a smaller court right i would encourage anyone to just google what is the pickleball pickleball court look like uh you play a 2v2 it's it's not as 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 athletic as tennis there's not as much running uh running across court or anything like that you, you can there is still a bit of movement happening um you typically people will play it you know 2v2 so two people on one side of a net versus two people on the other side of a net and yeah it really is kind of like pickle. Um, uh, sorry, tennis combined with a little bit of badminton, maybe. Um, it's it's badminton with a ball. Is that fair? No, I think I I no because the net is not as high as a badminton net. It's about the same level of a tennis net, and yeah. So my my wife and her friend. Really, my friends, my wife's friend wanted to to play. And near my apartment here in New York City, there are pickleball courts. And we went there last night uh, to to play. And there's kind of a subculture over there. There's a bunch of people who just kind of play to play pickleball. And the way that they organize, there's four courts at this at this location. And the way that they organize who gets to play is, you know, you take your paddle and you place it down on the ground. And there's, you kind of like place it in a line. So, um, you know, there's a, there's this, this, these paddles are first in line and then like, it, you know, kind of follows after that. It's similar to if you've ever been to a, a bar and played billiards and you want to get on the billiards table, you put a dollar or a coin. I think it's one of the two. You put like um, something on the side of the table to signify, hey, I'm next. And that's that was the system there. It was very organized and people were very friendly. Uh, again, it's a two v two thing, so total of four people. There were only three of us, so we always had we played two games and we had two different people. Uh, you know, basically like single, right? Like people were just there to play, join us to complete our our four person game. And it was the first time I ever played. We got paddles off of the internet. My wife and I did, and it was. A lot of fun. I wouldn't say I'm obsessed. I'm not. I haven't caught in the bug, but I I would definitely play again. Uh, okay, so I'm looking at a image of this, and it kind of looks like life size ping pong. Is that close? That is closer, sure. Without the table, of course, right? It's yes. almost like you're standing on the table. Yeah, that's actually a great way to put it. Life size ping pong. Uh, the ball. It doesn't go very far and it's not meant to, right? The pickleball, the actual pickleball. So it's not as bouncy as a tennis ball, 
but it's a little more bouncy than a wiffle ball. It does have holes in it. Um, I think there's varying balls. I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm so new to, so green to it. I don't know uh, if there's like different types of balls that you can use. But yeah, I think that's a great way to think of my life-size version of a pink ball. Awesome. I hope to try life-size ping pong soon. So, all right. Carlos, I have a question for you. Hit me. So, I think a lot of this podcast is obviously going to be about how we make money online and our goal in making more of it because money is good. But I have another question. What does a perfect day look like to you? Like if you can define your perfect day down to a T, what is that? It's a very interesting question. It's a very thought-provoking question that I've certainly given thought to before. I don't think I necessarily have, I hate to, I hate to say that I have a perfect day down to a T. I think there are certain things that I'd like to do in a perfect day that makes it a perfect day. So let me let me give you an example. I think playing golf on that day would uh, make would, would would contribute to the perfect day, to, uh, you know, the perfectness of it. Um, eating a great meal, <clears throat> eating a great dinner, or dinner and lunch. Frankly, I don't need a, a perfect breakfast, but I do like eating a full breakfast before going out to hit golf balls to hit, to play golf. Um, and then coming in, having a nice lunch and then going and spending time with my wife. And what do we spend our time on? I, you know, I think watching a movie, taking a walk, um, checking out whatever the latest uh, fun activity there is to do in New York city there's certainly an element of interacting in uh or or engaging in an activity in New York City that makes uh that makes for a perfect day for me um and then kind of rounding it out ending it with like i said a great dinner uh and maybe even a relaxing you know evening watching a movie or sitting around a fire pit actually i think that's actually what makes my a, a perfect day for me which Again, in New York City, means you, you kind of have a an outdoor space, so a rooftop space. Actually, I love a good rooftop in New York City, uh, with you know a warm weather day, skyline in in view. Um, it's 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 really just you know feeling like I'm relaxed. I'm not working. I'm not necessarily doing any work. I'm not checking any emails or, uh, you know, responding to Slack messages or anything like that. I like to turn that off completely on my perfect day. That's interesting. So, so does your perfect day not include any work ever? No. You sound like a retired person. <laughs> I mean, that that would be, I think, a perfect day. I like to think of it as like the perfect day for me is, Having being fulfilled, having felt like I um, did the work leading up to that day, 
Like I, I don't want to have any stresses, right? Uh, that certainly would ruin a perfect day. So I like to compartmentalize, you know, um, the the work aspect. So I think a part of it is having, you know, gotten everything done or feeling like everything is in a good place. A, a perfect day might even be during like a one month sabbatical, right? Um, or a midlife sabbatical. I don't. I I'm of the belief that sabbaticals are good. Time away is good. Uh, that the joys of retirement, like you said, or alluded to, uh, you know, shouldn't just be enjoyed late in life. Uh, should be enjoyed when you're, uh, you know, young and able to younger in life and able to enjoy uh, certain activities. So during that sabbatical, not just this perfect day, but you know, traveling, right, getting, uh, going out and exploring the world. Uh, think that's all part of like you know a perfect time period you know if we want to get into like what a perfect month looks like i could tell you that but um yeah do a perfect day you want you want to hear hear my perfect perfect month month. sure why not perfect month is summer month i love summer uh it's it's not all okay i can't completely unplug for a full month there will be elements of work there will be elements of checking in on certain projects, email and slacks, taking a look at what, you know, what's going on. Um, and that will probably happen at the start of a day, right? Uh, but that won't take up the full day, I think, in a perfect month. In a perfect month, there's probably two weeks of travel to a destination that, uh, you know, one of those far-flung destinations like Japan. I really would love to go to Japan. Have not been since I was 15 years old with my family. Uh, so would love to go explore the bullet trains, the Shinkansens, um, go check out um, Mount Fuji, go check out Tokyo. For Oh my gosh, Tokyo seems like an amazing place. I've always wanted uh, to go to Japan. That sounds to- fantastic. So let's say two weeks in Japan. Or actually, let's say like one week in Japan and then one week is in. Um, so that's like an active part of the travel, right? Like you're exploring, you're actively going out and seeking adventure or seeking sites, or, you know, attractions and what what the, the city has to offer. And then there's the week of relaxation. So going to a beach, honestly, right? Um, or Bali, Bali, um, going to just like a beach or uh, one of those villas over the water in Bali would be amazing for a week. Maybe not a week because it might get boring pretty quickly, but I also think that that time would go by pretty quickly as well. So, and then it's two weeks of essentially what I outlined as my perfect day, kind of leisure time, being at home, playing golf every other day, eating great food, watching some movies and relaxing with my wife, hanging out with friends. You know, again, it's a summer month, June or July, and the light goes out. You know, it's late until it's light until late. And, you know, everyone's active. Everyone's outside. Uh, that's what I enjoy. I, and absolutely, there's an element of work in there. But I, I don't want it to consume that perfect month for me. 
All right, Matt, let me. I have one last question. Can you have that perfect day, perfect month in winter? You've mentioned summer a few times. Well, it's a little harder in the New York City area, the Northeast region, to play golf in the winter because of the weather is so variable. Um, I think the winter, to answer your question, no, I can't have that perfect month in the winter. I can have a great month in the winter. There's certainly opportunity to travel. Like I think that's a great time to go do the, those adventures overseas. To me, though, winter is a time to um, get work done. I always think of like a win- winter as a time to to progress in whatever projects or whatever profession, work, job you're doing, whatever role you're fulfilling. Um, you know, especially I'm referring specifically to those January, February months when the light, uh, the sun sets early, the light isn't as, it's not as long as it is in the summer. And so people tend to be inside and huddle in their corners of the world. And, uh, or at least in my, you know, in my view, um, and kind of just hunker down and get, get stuff done. Right. I like, you know, I like to get stuff done generally, but during these, during the summer months, it's, it's a little harder to not want to be outside and take advantage of warm weather and opportunities to, to, to be up and about. Yeah. Awesome. Good answer. <laughs> All right, Matt. What's your perfect day look like? Flipping it on you. Tell me. Yeah. Okay. So first off, let me start with I'm all for spring and summer. I also am not the biggest fan of winter. Um I like what you said. I like that you look at winter as a time to buckle down and progress on projects. That's interesting. It kind of gives a natural balance to the year of leisure and hard work. But anyway, my perfect day. So I actually am a bit of a nutcase about this in the sense of I like optimizing every single day to the point where I have like a little calendar system I've developed myself over multiple years of trying to figure out what works. I know a lot about myself and what doesn't work for me. Um, So for me, The perfect day is one to two, ideally two, long, intense work sessions in blocks of about two or three hours. So I like to go deep. I don't want to come up from that rabbit hole for a good two to three hours. I love to get that focus time in. And I think think it's tough because... As a software engineer, if you get pulled away from what you're doing for even a split second during a two-hour block, it really throws you off because now it takes another 20 minutes to find where you were, another 10 minutes to find the thread you were pulling on and really get back into that headspace. So you've already wasted 30 minutes of that you know, two-hour block, which is a fourth. So yeah, going deep into the rabbit hole twice a day for two to three hours at a time. I feel like if I can do that every day, as far as work is concerned, I've nailed the perfect work day. I don't necessarily believe in eight, 12 hour work days. I think that's a little ridiculous. As a matter of fact, I think 
No one is working eight hours a day. I have proof of this, which I will share if you're curious, but yeah, two intense two to three hour work blocks. Then an intense workout. I love um, feeling out of breath. I know a lot of people uh, when they work out, they try to avoid that part of it. Um, but there's something about the achievement of being out of breath, recovering and feeling like shit, I just accomplished something. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And then afterwards, so two intense blocks of focus time, an intense workout. Then I want to intensely focus on nothing other than being with my wife, maybe hanging with friends, just completely shutting off. Um, whether that's playing baseball, hanging out on the couch, watching a movie. We watched Titanic last night because I had a renewed interest based on the submersible that just went down, which maybe <laughs> we'll speak about. And I fell asleep watching the movie. And that was kind of the perfect way to end the night. Um, so I would define my perfect day. If I could boil it down to two words, it's intense balance. Wow. Okay. Um, that does sound like quite the intensive balancing act of the work and, and the play. Uh, you said a couple of things there that really resonate with me. The, the ability to, or the idea of getting into a flow state and then having an interruption throw you off completely and it taking 20 to 30 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes to get back into that point, into that flow state. That's something that I think about, I was, I've thought about often and it's something that definitely try to avoid. Um, the, uh, the notion, the, the idea of working out or, or including, you know, an intensive workout in your perfect day. I, when I used to think of this question, I also, you know, I used to think oh, I'm a runner, right. And, and getting a run in and having that feeling after the run, that euphoric feeling is something I, I, I would like, I used to think of as like including in my perfect day. I, it's still, you know, I would love to get that in there as well, but I don't necessarily need that anymore. Although I do, you know, when you run, you, you, uh, or I, when you work out, especially any cardio, you, you can, a workout, you actually like regenerate your cells and you're kind of, you're actually like building new cells in your body. It's almost like a refresh, a complete refresh of, you know, you're, 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 you're adding new cells. It's like, uh, it, the, there was a New York times article about this last summer and that one really stuck with me. And it made, it motivated me to go out and run because it, in my head, I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to create some new cells. And that contributes to that euphoric, to that feeling that you alluded to, that you talked about of, uh, just feeling really, you know, really good, really good. Uh, that's a good yeah, word. Yeah. Euphoric euphoria, because actually you get that when you work out and I don't know about you, but I also get it. Like when I'm deep in a focus session, like when I'm in flow state, I have this euphoric sense of accomplishment, whether or not I accomplish something in that time period or not is another question, but you always you accomplish something. I do. Right. It, when you're deep into work, when you're, when you're like, really grooving and you're really getting stuff done 
right? It's it, you feel so accomplished by the end. There, there are certain th- there are certain times when I, I have that one thing I need to do, and it, it, it it's for whatever reason just gets put in the back burner, and when you finally get it done, you just feel so good. You feel such a relief. Um, it is euphoric. It it is really just more of a weight, attention lift lifted off of you. Uh, so, I do get that as well. Yeah. I'm. It's interesting that that I find it interesting that your perfect day includes the this two hour intensive work session. I think it really says a lot about you as a person, where like you're. You know, my perfect day is very leisurely. As you alluded to, it's like you know, I sound you sound I sound like I'm retired. <laughs> I <laughs> I think I I'm certainly more on the end of the spectrum of I work to live. Um I enjoy work, right? Don't get me wrong. I enjoy building something and creating something. Um I just don't build and create in the from the same perspective in the same way that you do. Um but you're certainly more on the end of the live to work end of the spectrum, uh, right? You, you're here on this earth to, to you know, to build something, to get something done. You have projects going on. I find that fascinating. Do you agree? Does that make? Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, I would agree with that. You just said um, live to work. You know, I. And I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but I took a personality test one time and I came back as like an INTJ and the the tagline for that or the type is an architect. So the idea of like creating, constantly building something. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I kind of view software engineering and coding in general as like a craft. So it would be no different like if I chopped trees and then took that wood and made my own tables in my backyard. Like I can imagine there's someone out there who has throws on their red lumberjack shirt with an ax, they chop some logs, and then they take it all the way from log to table and they just get lost in that. Mm-hmm. So it's just a love for the craft, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you love something, you're gonna to want to be doing it. And the, your craft of software engineering, yeah, you love it, and so you're gonna to want to include it in your perfect day. For me, that's, you know, I, I think golf is up is aligned is more in line with that craft that I'm trying to perfect. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I I do want to mention going back not to not to make this about me, but going back to like my perfect day, our perfect month, there is an element of um, diving into a good book or reading a, you know, reading something worthwhile, whether it be a New Yorker or some periodical and ideally discussing it with someone, whether that be that my, whether that would be my wife or, or you, uh, you and I have talked about some good books, right? So um keeping the mind fresh, keeping the mind active, exercising the muscle that is the brain uh, is something that I think I definitely want to make sure I call out as part of my perfect day. And it sounds like that is what 
you're doing as well, right? Uh, you're, you're getting into a flow state is really activating the mind, activating the brain along with other muscles, of course, but it's really primarily the brain that's, that's locked in and, and working on something, getting something done, working towards a goal. So I think that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a lot, it's very fascinating. What about your perfect month, Matt? Let me go there. Let's expand it real quick before we dive into our next topic. What's your, uh, what does your perfect month look like? Ooh, that's a good one. I haven't honestly thought about it. I could give you a perfect week, but then kind of like give you the pithy saying for what I think my perfect month looks like. So for the perfect week, I would include in there, because I'm trying to visualize my calendar right now. If it's spring or summer, I'm probably also playing baseball, likely twice a week, maybe three, depending on, you know, how tired I am. Um, and then ideally on the weekends, I am doing something new with the wife. So I think after retiring from work for the day, it's easy to just hang out on the couch and watch a movie. But on the weekend, so like last weekend, we went to Smorgasburg right in your area, um, food festival. So doing something different like that. Um, yeah, that'd be my perfect week. Just adding in more leisure type stuff. My perfect month. I kind of view how I work similar to like how a lion would eat food. So like they'll hunt and they'll eat a big ass Buffalo. Right. But then they won't eat for days and days and days. And then they'll eat again, a big ass meal, and then they'll just sleep and chill. So it's kind of like this ebb and flow. So if I viewed my perfect month, it would kind of feel like a, maybe like a three week sprint. And then just a week of complete decompression, resting the mind, resting yeah. the body, and then getting after it again the next month. You were definitely a software engineer at a startup. If you're talking about sprints and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can't escape it. The I like the idea of specifically, you know, new experiences. I think that's that I think we, we have overlap there when I say in my perfect month there's travel. And and, I, and I'm thinking very specifically traveling to new places. Uh even though I had like I said, I had been like I said, I'd been to Japan before. I haven't been since I was 15 years old, uh, which was more than 20 years ago at this point. And so yeah. I don't remember it. just having those new experiences, even if it's not travel, like you said, you, you know, going to smorgasbord, trying new food, I would assume those are, those are important, I think for a fulfilling, uh, active life. So that's cool. I think that makes a lot of sense to, to strive for those new things. Yeah. There's nothing more fulfilling than jerk chicken tacos. Let me ask you about baseball. Are you, when you say you're playing two or three times a week, are you playing in a league or are you going to the batting cages? Because obviously baseball is much more of a team sport. Whereas, you know, golf, for instance, I can go out and just play by myself and have, you know, a good time, of course. So yeah, what are you, what are you doing when you're playing baseball two, three times a week? Yeah. So it's definitely playing in a league. Um, baseball is, like you said, a team sport. It's fairly boring if you do it by yourself or with just one other person. The only thing you could really do is have a catch. Um, so yeah, I play in a league. Um, I like the competition. I'm killing it right now. I don't know 
if uh, anyone out there knows baseball stats, but I'm batting 390. The wow. other day I had a game and I went five for five, which means five at bats and all five times I got a hit. So it's impressive. Yeah. I'll send you a video after the pod. It's, it was fun. Um, yeah. So just competing, playing competitively. I love it. So you never go to the batting cages and just, no. just bang some balls. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The batting cage cool. for me is like live pitching. I treat them like a practice. What do you mean live pitching? What do you mean the batting cage? For you oh, like uh, an opposing pitcher from the other team. Okay. So that was like so a that, little bit of my ego peeking through. Like I gotcha. was viewing that as practice. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. you know, it's really a mindset to get, to go into any, you know, into the actual game, you know, oh, this is nothing, right? Kind of tricking your yeah. mind to thinking like, this isn't a, a game with meaning or stakes. This is just me, you know, going to the batting cage, right? Right. And that's, that's how well, you perform, helpful for well, how you perform. One interesting thing to clarify, I think it might be interesting, is this <laughs> isn't like a slow pitch league. So it, it, it does get very competitive. Um, some of these, we're not, obviously the major leagues, they're throwing 90 plus miles an hour regularly. Um, but in these leagues, you'll regularly see low 80s miles an hour of a baseball being thrown at you. So That's still really it, fast. It's competitive. Yeah. And getting hit by them sucks. Like if you're hit with the pitch, it doesn't yeah. feel good. Um. And you ever, uh, get hit in, you ever get hit intentionally? Are there any benches clearing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh really? Oh, and, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, I got stories. And maybe uh, I know we're going to send around a little newsletter. Maybe I'll send a picture out in the first one of what happened to my shin the last time I was hit with a baseball. Essentially, yes. for visualization, from my ankle all the way up to close to my knee, my whole leg was just black and blue. Yes, that newsletter that you referred to, the link to subscribe to that will be in this in the show notes. We we don't have that link set up at this very moment, uh, but it will be there. Yeah, by the time this goes live, we'll have a link. So look at it, look for it in the show notes. Um, okay, you want to move on to uh, the the last segment for today, for today's podcast episode. How do you Which make is, money? Yes. So Matt, we're going to focus on you today and pose. We're going to ask you the question. How, how do you make money? Okay. That's a loaded question. Um, I make money in a few different ways. Uh, so first, obviously I am a working software engineer for a mid size, mid to large size startup. Um, so I have my software engineering salary, obviously, and decently, you know, well-paid, but struggling to get by if you live in New York, of course, freaking New York. Um, from there, I have a couple of side hustles, one that makes some extra money, one that currently does not because it's in progress of being built. So the side hustle number one. I have built interactive tools for Twitch streamers, which is a fancy way of saying that I built a interactive tool for my brother who is a Twitch streamer. Um, I guess it could be wrapped up and sold to other people. 
other other streamers to use but i have not done that as of yet but in june uh which is this month it's project projected to make about 11 to 1200 income for me alone so you know pretty good pretty good little side hustle it's probably the first bit of code that i wrote across 8 hours that made so much money and it's kind of passiveish in the sense of like i ain't doing anything with it my brother's doing all the stuff he does on his end and he makes his money and then you know we have a little profit sharing agreement so that's one of them and then lastly um actually carlos and i have been working on building a software as a service product i don't think we'll go too far down the rabbit hole here unless you, you want to but not quite yet yeah we are building a SaaS product um and we're looking to launch that sometime this year towards the end of the year and probably turning on revenue in january of 24 and then we'll have a full 12 months of updates on what we're doing where we're at and etc but yeah so essentially three things software engineering salary one paying side hustle and one non-paid yet. So that last one, the SaaS product that you and I are working on together, not necessarily how you're making money right now, but it's certainly an investment of your time and energy into a future um, revenue stream or future way to make money. So interesting. Let me let me uh, double click on that side hustle. I want to I want to ask you some more pointed specific questions. First one being, okay, so eight hours of your time to build this thing that is going to uh, you you know make you around eleven hundred dollars for June, and you said it's passive ish. What can you elaborate on? What passive ish is? Is there how many hours do you expect to? How much time do you expect to? put in to um, maintain it, you know, in July. And also what are the, what are that, what are the costs, if you're willing to share broadly speaking, to keep that up and going? Yeah, sure. So first off, uh, I should mention that it was probably eight hours of like actual coding time. There was another set of hours where it was thinking about the problem, thinking about what needs to be built. Um, it's kind of like, you know, give me eight hours to chop a tree and I'll spend the first seven sharpening the ax. So it's definitely yeah. more than eight hours. Um, okay. Probably more around like the 20 to 30 hour range. But all in all, all in 20 to 30 hours yeah. to develop this. Okay. To build a single tool. Yeah. Um, as far as costs on that 1100. So so the, the actual tool will have made 20, let's call it 2400. Okay, so the revenue net obviously eleven hundred, right? For me, personally, yeah. Okay, um, costs to maintain it are server costs, really. So right now, hosted on Heroku, it's fairly cheap. Um, I'd say less than fifteen dollars for the month. So ninety nine percent margin, which is kind of insane. Obviously, we got to pay taxes, but. Let's not talk about that. Um, and then for July, as far as time that will go into keeping it up, zero. 
So that's the beautiful thing about software is it's built. And unless a server crashes, which is really on Heroku to bring back up, I don't necessarily, like right now it's bug free. We tested it hundreds of times and it will work technically in perpetuity. So if I did nothing else, I could arguably continue making this money if my brother just kept using it for his Twitch streams forever. However, he does want to build other tools and potentially expand to a larger, let's just call it a suite of tools right now. I, I won't go too far into detail on what we're building, but he does want to build like a suite of tools. So that would be a time investment for sure. But given the nature of how much profit it's made already, I could see that being somewhat successful. So it certainly sounds like obviously there's traction. It sounds like there's an audience there. You've, you, you put the thought in, I mean, or your brother, you know, you and your brother. Um, so the, there's a proof of concept for a suite of tools. It seems like, or at least, you know, the theory, the hypothesis is there is there. So, I mean, yeah, seems like, um, you know, something definitely worth exploring for you to, to look into this suite of tools becomes, uh, yeah, what's that called when you get wrapped when you, when you start having you know more than one product, one more than one software in, in in your in your suite of tools? There's a word for this. Um, we'll get back to that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Go oh, okay. I I'll go on. Uh, so I, I did want to mention that like since this is the alchemy of bits podcast and we talk about you know making money building things that can make money diving into interesting tactics to make more money whether that you know through all of your i'm sure you're going to share interesting marketing tactics and stuff like that um yeah actually i don't know where i was going with that i lost my train of thought so well it's good to call out that we are the alchemy of bits podcast and that Right. I think it's worth explicitly saying that, right? Bits, what are bits for, for anyone who doesn't know what bits are? Yeah. So bits are, I guess, literally, they would be binary ones and zeros. That's a bit. Um, well, I guess a bit is. All right. Whatever. It, it, let's just say it is anything that is on the internet, bits of data, right? And we are taking those bits and alchemizing them. We are turning them into gold. We are turning them into money. Ah, yeah. Via via building via the internet. Bits bits found like conceptually, right? I think it might be a little hard for someone who isn't a software engineer or you know works on coding. That's why yeah. I <laughs> cut off the definition. I was like, all right, I didn't go into well, Let's just try really quick. Like conceptually, bits are the foundations of the internet. Is that fair? It's kind of like the building blocks. Or yeah, yeah I mean, obviously not tangibly. Like, yeah, they are the the building blocks of what you see on your screen when you look on your computer and look at a web page. And so going from a blank screen to the world of Minecraft, right? For example, very specific example. It's 
that that was you know you're immersed in this world and somebody or a bunch of people obviously a bunch of people created that out of nothing right it's 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 really is incredible it really is magic to the you know in some in some ways to the to the uh concept of an alchemy of an alchemist you know an alchemy of bits right so that's how we that's where you know that's that's where the name come from comes from and from that there's a lot of ways to turn that into gold or money basically right to make profit off off of nothing right like from nothing comes revenue and it's been happening for a while now but there's so many other ways and so many other opportunities to do that yeah the internet is amazing like like you just said you can build something from absolutely nothing just an idea and you can essentially plant these money trees these different revenue streams a bit like I just spoke about with this one tool, right? Like that's just one revenue stream. It's kind of like if I were to go fishing and I took a big ass net and I cast it in the water and when I pulled it up, there was a bunch of cash in there. That's kind of how I view um, software products in general. You can create these different streams of income and it's literally magical that you can do this and marketing from, from your point of view, from your side of the coin is kind of like that net that's being cast into the water, right? Cause you know, which uh, using data, you know, which levers to pull and how, when I want to throw a bigger net into a bigger group of fish or money in this case, you know, when you can pull up more money, less money. So uh, Enough of the analogies. Um, my point is it's magical and we're going to dive very deep into it on this podcast. I would like to just make one more point. I, yeah, absolutely, Matt. We're going to dive deep into it. And the one point I want to make, you know, and truly the internet is so young. We are so early in the internet. It's not even 50 years old, right? I think. But I, right, I think it came around, came about sometime in the technically speaking, the eighties, right? Um, and the Earth is four point five billion years old, so we are so early in the internet. And the gold analogy—I I know we want to get away from analogies, but it, it's still very much in like the gold rush area of of the internet. I think there's a lot of money to be made. A lot of ways to do it. That's what we're going to talk about here. So yeah. Um, All right. Well, good stuff. Well, Matt, you shared your, uh, you know, an overview of how you make money. I'm going to share mine on the next episode. Yeah, I think that's good. Maybe you'll talk about yours on the next episode. Good idea. All right. This was fun. Good stuff, Matt. Yeah. First one in the books. Please subscribe if you enjoyed this. If you've made it this far, please subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have more places for you to engage with us soon. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you go subscribe to our newsletter, it's going to be the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, do that. Uh, lots of dope content coming your way. <laughs> dope content. Dope content. All right. 
that's the pod.